Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpack Warriors. Welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode 131. The Catholics of America have been scandalized by fake Catholics in politics for decades. Pretender Joe Biden, Nancy Stretch Pelosi, and others of their ilk are an embarrassment to devout Catholics and the Church. There's new hope on the political landscape, though, as many, many ordinary Catholic patriots across the country have had enough of these fake Catholics in politics and have begun to seek office themselves. This week, we'll hear from one such Catholic. His name is Ryan Kelly, and he's running to become the next governor for the state of Michigan. Paid for by Michigan for Ryan D. Kelly with regulated funds. The citizens of Michigan are done with government encroachment upon our constitutional rights and liberties. Ryan D. Kelly is stepping up to the plate to ensure that this nonsense is stopped immediately. Ryan is an American patriot residing in West Michigan with his incredible wife and five beautiful children. Ryan believes in the necessity and power of the Constitution and the ability for all people to live the American dream. As the 50th governor of Michigan, Ryan will fight for what belongs to the wonderful citizens of Michigan. Visit RyanDKelly.com. That's RyanDKelly.com to find out how you can join the fight against the extreme government overreach of the current administration. When you vote for Ryan D. Kelly as the 50th governor of Michigan, you are voting for Michigan. This is Ryan Kelly, and I approve this message. Whenever they accept my invitation, I'm going to interview ordinary Catholic patriots who are running for office. However, I refuse to interview or endorse anyone who places our holy and ancient faith second to anything. The Catholic politicians I speak with will have convinced me that the Catholic Church is the highest priority in their lives, or you won't hear about them from me, at least not in a good light. I'm convinced that President Trump made it possible for ordinary Catholics who have the courage to run for political office, which is evidenced by a new surge in real Catholic candidates, and I strongly believe that they should run. That's the only way we can bring God back into public discourse and save our society, as well as make the Catholic Church relevant again. I'm doing these interviews with the blatant goal of asking you to support such Catholic candidates with your contributions. An unfortunate reality in modern American politics is that it takes money to get elected, just like it takes money to reach souls. By supporting the candidates that I hope to have on this show, we'll have a reasonable hope of bringing God back into the public arena. This great nation will be lost if we don't bring him back into our public life. This week, we're talking to Ryan Kelly, an underdog who's running for the GOP primary to win the Republican nomination for governor of Michigan to replace that wicked witch of the Midwest, Gretchen Whitmer. But first, let me give you a little background on Ryan. He's been married to his lovely wife, Tabitha, since 2013, and they already have five children. Obviously, they're living the Catholic faith in their marriage. I think it's great. Ryan and Tabitha have both called Michigan their home for most of their lives and currently live in West Michigan. Ryan owns and operates Nucon Realty in Grand Rapids. As a small business owner, Ryan understands what it takes for Americans to work hard to achieve the American dream. Ryan is a grassroots American patriot, stepping up to play his part in making Michigan a national leader in keeping our American republic strong. You'll notice in this interview that Ryan frequently refers to people having spines of steel, something the cowards in the clergy and hierarchy need to hear. I really enjoyed speaking with Ryan, and he pumped me up with his patriotic spirit, his knowledge of the U.S. Constitution, and his knowledge of both Michigan law and the Michigan Constitution. I'm absolutely convinced he'd be a patriot who puts his Catholic faith first. 
Before we get into the interview, I want to tell you that it's very, very important that we all do our part in politics. After all, in the current culture, politics and Catholicism are inseparable. So if you aren't inclined to run for office, then you need to support the best people running. You can support Ryan by helping his campaign financially by clicking on the link in my show notes. You don't have to be a resident of Michigan to help him out. Now let's listen to what Ryan has to say. Six-Pack Warriors, this week we have Ryan Kelly, who's running in the Republican primary in Michigan to become the next governor there. Ryan, welcome to the Cantankerous Catholic. Thank you, sir. It's good to be here. I appreciate you having me on today. Oh, thank you. I And by the way, sir was my father. I remember I used to get hit if I didn't call him that. So, but I'm Joe. Let's go. We'll go. Uh, okay. Uh, the vast majority of the six-pack warriors aren't familiar with you, Ryan. Please tell them a bit about yourself and your family. Quick little snapshot on that. They're married to an amazing lady. Her name is Tabitha. We have five little kids with each other. Our oldest is 11 and our youngest recently just turned one years old. And then we have them mixed uh, in between there. So within 10 years, we got five kids, amazing family. And with business, I'm a real estate broker. I've been in the real estate business for a little over a decade. And currently I own my own firm and help clients across the state of Michigan purchase real estate, commercial, industrial, and residential. That's a little bit of the business history there. We reside in West Michigan. I've grown up in West Michigan pretty much all of my life. I was born in West Virginia, but had, when I was five years old, moved to Michigan with my family and been there ever since. So we're, we're Michigan all throughout our life, and we absolutely love this state here. Yeah, Michigan's a beautiful state, Ryan. I've been up there a number of times. I've always wanted to go up to the UP to do some trout fishing. I love uh, trout fishing, and I, I've read that the very best is up in the UP. Uh, oh, and by the way, I want to congratulate you. There is apparently no artificial contraception in the Kelly home, is there? <laughs> it's not. Yeah, it just keeps on happening. You know, every couple of years we get another one. <laughs> That's great. You know, Ryan, the very most important question that can be asked of any Catholic candidate for office is how will your Catholic faith play into a Kelly administration? We are one nation under God. If we take our our Pledge of Allegiance and we look at the wording there, one nation under God, indivisible. If we take God out of the equation, we become divisible. And I see across Michigan and the United States where there's one particular party that is wanting to take God out of the equation and pushing hard for this secular idea that uh, separation of church and state. Really, our First Amendment states that there shall be no establishment of a religion, but cannot prohibit the free exercise thereof. So taking the mindset that I have that my faith is in God, my family's faith is in God. Our nation's faith is in God. We'll continue to talk about God. Our constitution in Michigan says that religion and good morals are key to education. And we need to make sure that that is being not only something that we pursue in our schools, but as a nation collectively. So through, through my actions as governor of Michigan, we will make sure that we are taking God and putting him in, in front of the things that we do by our decisions when it comes to things uh, that we put through legislation or, for example, with pro-life. I am a very strong pro-life candidate. I would sign legislation that would abolish uh, abortion in Michigan because life begins at perception and that, or I'm sorry, the life begins at conception. And that is the science and data. The left always likes talking about science and data and science and data shows that life and a new body begins at conception. So I think there's a Amen. lot of these things here that you know, as we go through this process, we're going to make sure that we are putting God in the driver's seat and the things that we do. Amen. That's great. I, that's a top-notch answer there, Ryan. I've read that the Michigan legislature has begun to address election integrity. Does the legislature's efforts adequately address election integrity, 
to ensure free and fair elections? And what would you like to see the legislature do differently? We know that the 2020 election was stolen by the Democrats. We know that not only in Michigan, but other states, there was a lot of uh, interference in different precincts in, in a lot of different ways. And the legislature had the opportunity in Michigan and in other states to step in at that time and take a closer look at everything so that we can uncover the truth. Because our republic's election system is the very forefront of making sure that we have a free society in alignment with American values. That should be number one, regardless of the party that you're in. Recently in Michigan, there's been a couple things that have happened since at the time of the 2020 election, the legislature did not step up in Michigan particularly, that recently we are, as the people, signing affidavits, exercising our constitutional right. The Michigan Constitution, Article 2, Section 4, says that if you're an elector in Michigan, you have the right to a statewide audit to ensure accuracy and integrity in the election. So we have thousands and thousands of people that are sending those affidavits in. We had a rally at the state capitol last week where we hand-delivered them to the legislature and to the governor and to the secretary of state. So our elected representatives in Michigan know that the people want a full forensic audit. Now, recently, there was legislation that was introduced by one of the state reps that is calling for a full forensic audit of the 2020 election. Now, where that goes, I'm not sure. We're going to see because I know that there are some Republicans that do not want to see the audit. There's some that do, and there's many that are in the middle on the fence. And there's Democrats that don't want to. My question is, is why not take a look? Why not put the minds at ease? If we want to talk about unity, we need to unify behind this election process. If there's nothing wrong with it, Jocelyn Benson, the Michigan Secretary of State, says it was the most secure election in the history of all elections. Well, if it is, then let's take a look. There's nothing to worry about, right? Let's take a look at the process and all of the ballots. The legislature, the the Republican legislature in Michigan recently put out 39 bills aiming to uh, cover different components of the election process to make sure that they are more closely monitored and that we can have election integrity. Now, will our current governor sign those? Probably not. Are those bills going to make it through? Uh, highly unlikely. And so, you know, there, there's definitely more they need to do. But I think the the main thing is, is that if we don't have a forensic audit of the 2020 election to prove what happened with the ballots, with validating signatures, with double ballot counting, et cetera, et cetera, the list goes on, then we will never be able to uncover what the true problem is and what legislation needs to be put in place to stop it moving forward. So that's where the legislature is failing us right now in Michigan. The audit of the 2020 election has to happen in Michigan if we want to move forward to make sure our elections are secure, safe, and done with integrity. Can an audit happen after your election? It could, absolutely. If by the time I'm elected Michigan's 50th governor, we have not done an audit, I think that is something that, and as governor, I, I could advocate for that, but the legislature controls all of that. The legislature has the control over the election process. They need to be the ones that do it. So uh, just as I am now, and I have been since the very beginning, I was down at the TCF Center uh, on, on the 4th of November for two days straight, having different rallies and inspiring people to be involved and to speak out and to you know, get involved in the, the process of, of getting an audit from the very start. So I will continue to do that. Absolutely. Okay, very good. The Michigan state bureaucracy is bloated and the state equivalent to the federal deep state. What do you plan to do to reduce the size of state government and return the state bureaucracy to a government by and for the people? I am very strong on limited government. That's the way that our republic, we're not a democracy, we're a republic. That's the way our republic is set up with a limited government for and by the people. When we look at things like the Department of Health and Human Services in Michigan, public the, the, the portion of the, the public health code, section 2253, is currently what is being used in the state of Michigan to promulgate all of these different orders and restrictions, the mask mandates, et cetera, et cetera, everything they're doing to our kids in the education system. It gives unelected bureaucrats, like you're mentioning there, Joe, the authority to violate people's constitutional rights 
We have constitutional rights. We don't have constitutional permissions when the government says so. This this 2253 section gives these DHHS directors, unelected bureaucrats, uh, total authority to put whatever regulations they want in place, whatever you know violations of our constitutional rights. And to, to answer your question, one of the things that as governor, I won't fund the Department of Health and Human Services. I will not sign a budget that funds them until that section is gone. It needs to go Excellent. away. And same thing with things like the licensing and regulatory affairs. Laura, which has been weaponized by the current governor to take small businesses licenses away and to uh, put fines on these different small business owners and uh, some of them have been even been arrested. Marlena, she owns a restaurant. She escaped communism, first of all. She comes to America, sees communism happening because that's what this is. Let's call it what it is. This is communism right. in America that they're trying uh, to, to take over uh, our country with. And so she was arrested because she wouldn't shut her business down. She had signs on her door. If you're sick, don't come in. If you have COVID, don't come in. If you are scared because of those things, don't come in, right? It's personal individual risk assessment that she was pursuing. Uh, and so another one of my stances is that with this, that this Lara, uh, we won't fund them until all of the licenses are returned all of the fines repaid, and all of the charges, if any, dropped. We need to look at shrinking these alphabet soup organizations and, and making things more business-friendly, reasons why people will want to start businesses. I was con- You mentioned the Upper Peninsula. I was contacted by somebody just here in the last few days from the Upper Peninsula that there's businesses leaving the Upper Peninsula area and going to Wisconsin because of Department of Health and Human Services because of Lara because it's friendlier to go 20 miles over the border and 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 have your business there. Just last night I was down by the Indiana border and they said the very same thing to me. They said people they moved their business 20 miles south into Indiana because it's much more business business friendly. Why are we scaring people away by all of our regulations and our 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 different sets of rules that these businesses have to follow, these fines that they have to pay that makes it so they'll just move to another state. We need to encourage that people come here and open up businesses and get the government out of the way so people can thrive and live their best life and pursue the American dream. Man, that is great. You want to run for governor of Missouri? (laughs) (laughs) Ryan, let's switch to public education for a moment. The U.S. Department of Education is tyrannical in its bullying of the state public education, forcing public schools to teach garbage that parents really don't want their children learning. The teachers' unions are in lockstep with the Marxist regime in Washington. What do you intend to do to resist Washington and the teachers unions and help Michiganders uh, have more choice for education for their children? First off, I am for school of choice. I believe that we need to uh, give our students, all of our students, the opportunity to have the very best education. And I believe school of choice helps to um, bring those those components together there. Number one. To go to your comment there about the Marxism and the whole idea of like this critical race theory, the 1619 project, this divide that they're teaching our kids, really it's racist. This this critical race theory is teaching racism. It's teaching hate and bigotry. It's dividing people based on their skin color. And, And it's telling black kids that if you live in America, Your chances of being successful are so much less because of the color of your skin. No, I'm sorry. We need to be teaching every single student that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is for them. That here in America, they have the opportunity, regardless of their skin color, to pursue freedom and prosperity, that they are free and, and pursuing prosperity to whatever life you want to create for yourself, right? One of God's greatest gifts to us, Joe, is our free will. The American spirit at its very core is that freedom and free will to choose whatever life you want to live. That is the American dream at the very core. And I'll tell you what, my friend, right now, God has me on a mission to protect that very gift from him, to protect the American spirit for future generations so that no matter where you come from, what language you spoke when you got here, what color your skin is, what color your hair is or your eye is, you have the opportunity to pursue the American dream. And that's what we need to be teaching in our education system from preschool through college. 
We need to be teaching freedom and prosperity is for everyone. And freedom and prosperity is what America is all about. And it's why people want to come to this country. It's why people have immigrated here over the centuries for that very freedom, for God's free will to create the best life that you can for yourself. And this Marxist communist idea that they want to teach in our schools right now that, that white people oppress uh, every other race and that black people or any other minority is going to have a... Uh, a hard time being successful. It's all lies. It's to create divide. It's to create oppression. It's racist by the Democrats, right? The the Democrats want to call conservatives racist and white supremacist and all this. I was speaking with a Latino gentleman yesterday, very conservative, and he's being called racist and white supremacist by the left. Uh, I was just talking with a black lady the other day. She was in an event I was at. She was speaking and she said that same thing in front of the crowd. She gets called a white supremacist all the time. And she's like, I am a black lady. What are you people even talking about? So the the narrative from the left is so ridiculous and off base. And I'll tell you what, patriots like myself, yourself, and so many others, we've had enough. The silent majority is no longer silent. We will not uh, we, we will not take this perversion of the American spirit and the American dream and have it disappear and freedom on this generation going away. We will preserve the American spirit. We pr- will preserve the American dream and we will make sure that freedom lives on and the American liberties for the next generation. M- many of our young people today are Marxist because of the things they're taught in college, especially in our state institutions. Is there anything you can do about that? A lot of it goes back to funding, I believe, as well. And uh, we look at the Department of Education. And I made the statement recently that unless we abolish critical race theory, we won't fund the Department of Education. 2020 has showed us that, you know, we can make massive, huge changes in our government structures. Look at what happened in 2020. That showed us some lessons there that, the Department of Education was shut down in many ways, shut down all the schools, right? They had to remake the entire way they did everything, and they did it in a short period of time. So why don't we do that for a positive direction? Get rid of Amen. critical theory. And so we need strong conservatives with steel spines willing to stand up now because the left will come out and say things like, uh, defund the police, right? The left will come out and say things like, you know, abolish ICE, abolish ICE. You want to shut down our border protection. And we have Republicans that are scared to say things like don't fund the Department of Education unless we realign ourselves with our constitution, unless we get rid of critical race theory. I am saying those things. And that is exactly what I intend to do because my payoff, I'm not a bought and paid for politician. My payoff through this whole thing, Joe, is making sure we preserve the American spirit. I'm a businessman. I know how to make money in the entrepreneurial world. I'm not going into politics to make money. I'm going into politics here so that we can realign with the American values and realign the state of Michigan with uh, with freedom and prosperity, which is being torn away from us by the current administration and previous administrations. It's time for strong conservatives to step up and be involved and not be a scared and not be afraid to speak out. Amen. You know, Ryan, I'd jump in a foxhole with you anytime. <laughs> Gretchen Whitmer has been an absolute tyrant and hypocrite during the mostly fake pandemic. When you're elected governor, what will you do to help guarantee that the people of Michigan don't have to put up with this tyranny anymore? I re, um, I made comment a minute ago on the Department of Health and Human Services public, uh, public health code 2253 section. Uh, that's one of the things there, taking away those powers from the government. Uh, things like the 1945 law, that the governor was using with her emergency orders, that's going to be going away. Uh, There's other ways that we can limit the power of the governor's office. Those are things that we're going to seek to do, find these unconstitutional laws or regulations and remove them. We don't always need to have the legislature coming up with brand new laws of how we can rule over people. Let's find ways to peel that back and say, well, that's an unconstitutional law. Let's look at getting rid of this. One of the things in the state of Michigan is that the governor and the legislature and our judicial branch is not subject to FOIA. That's the Freedom of Information Act. So when we talk about things like the nursing home deaths that were you know, in Michigan that Gretchen Whitmer with Executive Order 202050 used to place 
uh, COVID-19 positive patients in those nursing homes, which resulted in thousands of thousands of deaths. And we ask for, and the United States Congress asks for the communication on how those decisions were made. She doesn't give it up. Why? Because she's not subject to FOIA. She doesn't have to. So part of my Michigan First Policy agenda is making it so that the governor's office, the legislature, and the judicial branch in Michigan are all subject to FOIA. Those communications done by our elected officials need to be subject to public uh, scrutiny, uh, available to the public to see. Finding other ways to limit the power of the governor's office is going to be important. And I think that's going to be looking at these bureaucracies and taking away their power as well, because the governor obviously works through those organizations as well when they're not being just executive orders published by the governor and it's authoritarianism over the people. Great. Ryan, if the current Marxist administration has its way, the Second Amendment will essentially disappear. Now, how do you intend to protect the right of Michigan citizens to keep and bear arms in light of the crazy leftist firearm tyranny coming out of D.C.? The Tenth Amendment of our Constitution gives the states the the reserved powers that are not given to the federal government. Now, the federal government constitutionally does not have any authority at all to violate the Second Amendment. Amen. The amendment is very, very clear. And so as governor, we will have constitutional carry in the state of Michigan. That is legislation that I would sign right away. Also, on top of that, we will, um, I, I want legislation on my desk that says that any laws from the federal government that violate the Second Amendment are not enforceable in the state of Michigan. Those are things that the state can do. Those are things that the state with the right leadership can put in place because the federal government, like if we look back at 1787, when the convention of the states happened, they limited the authority of the federal government with the Constitution. And they said, here's what the federal government can do. And then we're going to reserve the rest of the powers to the states. Now, we see that governors are very, very powerful when it comes to how they uh, they control their states. Obviously, in 2020, look at how all the different states around the nation were handled, right? The, the president didn't do that. The president didn't have uh, the the authority to come in and uh, and tell the states what you know what states' rights uh, they could and couldn't exercise. So that comes back to when you're talking about the Second Amendment as well. If we can get some strong conservatives with steel spines that are willing to say those things, look at what happened in Nevada recently. A couple of counties, a couple of counties said that we're constitutional sanctuary states. Anything that's unconstitutional is not enforceable here in our county. We have a couple of counties in Michigan that have done that recently as well. Amen. Constitutional sanctuary counties. I want to be a constitutional sanctuary state, and we can tell the federal government to go take a hike if they want to come here with any of their organizations and try to enforce unconstitutional uh, laws or whatever that they have that uh, in Michigan we wouldn't put up with. Amen. And You know, Ryan, I especially appreciate that you brought up the 10th Amendment, because I so seldom hear anybody talk about that. If we were to just push the 10th Amendment like crazy, a lot of this crap going on in D.C. would have to stop, because we, the government works for us, we the people, not the other way around. They just don't seem to understand it in Washington, D.C. If you caught recently when Joe Biden said in the State of the Union address, we the people. Our constitution starts, we the people. That's us, the government. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That right there lets you know where the mentality is at with these people that have been elected to Congress, Senate for decades. You're right. You're they absolutely for right. Decades. And now their mentality is, is that we the people is the government. That's where You're their right. head's at. And that is the battle that we're fighting here. And it is not going to stop anytime soon. That's why being involved right now at the local levels, at the state levels, good people running for Congress. I look at like Marjorie Taylor Greene. She is a fighter. Yes, she, she is. not back down. Lauren Bobart, same thing, right? We need more good people like that that are going to be willing to step up at all levels of government, including school board, local councils, uh, all all through the the whole system of government that we have 
if we want to make sure that we're going to make uh, this country stay a republic. You know, Donald Trump taught us and convinced us that if you have a steel spine and you're willing never to back down, that is how to run a government. That is how to get in there and fight for the people. And I think you're <laughs> you're great for this. Like I said, I'd love to have you here in Missouri running for governor. <laughs> this final question is, to me, the very most important. People are afraid to talk about the culture of death outside of euthanasia and abortion. And really, the culture of death includes homosexual behavior, transgenderism, a lot of artificial contraception, a lot of things. So what will you do to protect the preborn, elderly, and Michigan society from the reigning culture of death and the flagrant violations of natural law, which is what our Constitution was based on, that fuel our culture? Mm -hmm. We talked a little bit about the stance that I have on pro-life earlier, so I, I won't make comment on that again. However, let's talk a little bit about the homosexuality and the trans. Uh, first of all, uh, how disrespectful to our women to allow transgender men that it's, it's a biological male that decides uh, I want to be female and then wants to participate in women's sports, for example, or wants to use women's restrooms or go to their changing rooms, right? How disrespectful. And uh, as governor of Michigan, right, we will not have uh, we will not have that in Michigan. I will be against transgender men in women's sports, uh, transgender men in women's bathrooms. And um, that, that's just it's something that we don't need to be teaching to our kids as well. If if what somebody does in their bed, own bedroom is their own deal. Right. I'm not going to get involved with that because they have their own privacy and they can do their own thing. But to make that mainstream, to make that something we're teaching to our children, absolutely not. To teach our young children that they can choose their gender or to put them on certain hormone blockers, right? It was recently made, there was a comment like, well, we don't want the kids to go through the wrong puberty. Excuse me? <laughs> that doesn't even make any sense to me. We need to not allow that to be something that is taught to our children. We need to make sure that we're protecting our children. That is child abuse to approach a child that is very impressionable and ask them what gender they want to be. Boys are boys and girls are girls. That's the science and data, X, Y chromosomes, right? I mean, that's just the science and data behind it. And the left just loves science and data. So they say. So they say when it's a good fit for their narrative is when they like it. Okay. Right. So again, whatever somebody wants to do in their own bedroom, look, you know, we're not getting involved in your private life. That includes, you know, even homosexuality, whatever they want to do. But to to make that mainstream and to teach that to our children, absolutely not. And to shove it down our our throats and to say, you know, if you disagree with it, oh, you're homophobic or you're, you know, whatever, you know, terminology that they want to come up with, right? To to force you to uh, accept whatever um, narrative that they want to push. Like as, as Michigan's governor, we will, we're going to push back against that in our, our, in our education system. And we are going to push back against uh, the, the exploitation of our children in that capacity. So that's kind of the, the couple answers there. Was there one other that you wanted me to make a comment on? Uh, no, I believe that covered it. And Ryan, this has been great. You have been great. Listen, Six Pack Warriors, I want you to support this man. I realize that most of you aren't in Michigan. Those of you who are can vote for him. But those of you who aren't, you can certainly contribute to his campaign because an unfortunate reality in politics is that it takes money to win. And I'm going to have Ryan's, I'm going to have his link in my show notes. And I want you to click on it. I want you to give to his campaign as best you can. Ryan, after the election, after you've been elected governor, is there any chance that you might, as governor, come back on the Cantankerous Catholic? That'd be fun. <laughs> okay, because I would love to have you. Thank you for being here today, Ryan. Thanks, Joe. I really appreciate it. Okay, bye-bye. Six-pack warriors, if you're listening from Michigan, you need to get on this Patriots bandwagon. 
He's as inexperienced in politics as President Trump was in 2016, and we all know how much better that made America. If you're outside of Michigan, go to my show notes and give Ryan's campaign a gift, and be sure to comment on this episode in the show notes. Paid for by Michigan for Ryan D. Kelly with regulated funds. The great state of Michigan has been poorly managed for far too long. It's time for real change and uncompromised leadership. It's time for a bold visionary who is not afraid to say what he believes. Ryan D. Kelly is a true patriot that holds the future of Michigan for this generation and generations to come in deep regard. Ryan is a proven success in business and a leader who gets things done. It's time for the people to lead our state back to greatness. Visit RyanDKelly.com. That's Ryan D. K-E-L-L-E-Y dot com for more on his Michigan First policies. This is Ryan Kelly, and I approve this message. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to Catholic vote. The U.S. Supreme Court declined to hear the case of Baronel Stutzman, a Christian florist who is in trouble with the government because she refused to provide her floral services for a same-sex wedding. I don't normally get worked up over the denial of cert by SCOTUS, wrote attorney Howard Slew, co-founder of Jews for Religious Liberty. But the denial of cert to Arlene's flowers, or a remand of Fulton at the very least, is an egregious miscarriage of justice. No, 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 no! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 4 Hats off to National Review. Secretary of State Antony Blinken announced this week that Americans can now choose which gender they are on official passports arbitrarily, even if their choice contradicts other documents in medical history. The Biden State Department is also working on adding non-binary, transgender, or intersex options. You're wacko! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick number three. Hats off to Just the News. The Commonwealth of Virginia said local schools should, quote, eliminate gender-based practices, end quote, under new transgender rules. Such events as father-daughter dances may be discontinued under new guidance by the state's Department of Education. Gender-based policies, rules, and practices can have the effect of marginalizing, stigmatizing, and excluding students regardless of their gender identity or gender expression, stated a guidance issued by the state's education department. Why, you must be delusional or something. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick number two. Hats off to Angelus News. History is what holds us together as one nation, writes Archbishop Jose Gomez, president of the USCCB. How we remember our past shapes how we understand where we are at in the present and helps us define our meaning and purpose as a people. To help solve the current divisions, Archbishop Gomez points to Father Junipero Serra, a Catholic saint and a founding father of America. St. Serra's feast day was on July 1st. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 1 Hats off to Newsweek. Yes, we should ban critical race theory from our schools, argues attorney Josh Hammer at Newsweek. While some, including conservatives, have argued that removing CRT from public school curricula infringes on free speech, Hammer called their objections nonsense. 
If the First Amendment appealing crowd were intellectually consistent, they would similarly object to a state education bureaucracy banning the teaching of Holocaust denial, Hammer explained. And if the secular leftists among this cohort were consistent, they would presumably object to a state's ban on teaching the book of Genesis creation story. They won't. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. I am hard, but I am fair. It's time for the Catholic Boot Camp with your drill sergeant, Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Learn the Catholic faith and how to defend it like you've never heard it before. This boot camp is tough, so there's no political correctness, no spirit of Vatican II, and no namby-pamby platitudes. Drill Sergeant Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, will prepare you for spiritual war. Now here's Joe Sixpack. Rusty had a beautiful picture of the Mother of Sorrows above his bed. This image shows Our Lady with seven swords piercing her heart. Rusty used to look at the picture every night while he did his prayers before going to bed, and he'd add three Hail Marys to the Blessed Virgin in her honor. One day Rusty committed a mortal sin of impurity. He was sorry for this sin, but he still planned to go to communion the next day without first going to confession. That night as he prayed at his bedside, Rusty was ashamed to look at the picture because his conscience was bothering him. Then he heard a voice saying, Rusty, why don't you look at me? Rusty looked up at the picture and heard the voice say, Rusty, take this sword, as she painfully pulled one of the swords from her heart and handed it to him. Then she said, Now, stab me in the heart. Rusty was horrified. He said, Mother, I could never do that. I'd never stab you. But you will stab me in the heart, Rusty, if you receive Holy Communion tomorrow in mortal sin. Don't you know you'll be committing a sacrilege by receiving my son into a sinful heart? Mortal sin nailed my son to the cross, Rusty, and I'd rather have you stab me in the heart than that you should nail my son to the cross with your sacrilege. Rusty cried out, Blessed Mother, please forgive me. I'm sorry. The next day, Rusty made a good confession and then received Jesus in Holy Communion. That night, as he said his prayers before the picture of the Mother of Sorrows, she seemed to smile at him because his heart was pure and clean again. Our Mother of Sorrows made it poignantly clear to Rusty the immensity of the evil of mortal sin. As she said to Rusty, mortal sin drives the nails into her son's flesh on the cross. But in these uncertain times when the popular culture and political correctness seems to have blurred the lines between good and evil, it's often difficult for us to maintain a moral compass and identify just what is and isn't sin. Personal sin is any sin we commit ourselves by any free and willful thought, desire, word, action, or, my personal favorite, omission anything we fail to do that we should have done. That's against God's law. And there are two kinds of actual sin, venial and mortal. Mortal sin is any serious offense against God's law. For example, murder, masturbation, abortion, artificial contraception, adultery, etc. It causes the soul to lose sanctifying grace, destroys the merit of all a person's good acts, and makes the person deserving of eternity in hell, unless the sinner repents. There are three conditions that must be present for a sin to be mortal. One, there is serious matter. That is, the thought, desire, word, action, or omission must be seriously wrong or thought to be seriously wrong. Two, sufficient reflection. That is, the person knows it's seriously wrong. Three, full consent of a fully free will to doing what the person knows is seriously wrong. All three of these conditions must be present for a sin to be mortal. Venial sin is a less serious offense against God. 
It doesn't deprive the soul of sanctifying grace, but it does weaken our will toward mortal sin. Venial sin doesn't make the sinner deserving of eternal punishment. However, because God is infinitely just, punishment is still exacted, either in this life or in purgatory. What makes a venial sin venial is when the sin lacks at least one of the three conditions of a mortal sin. In other words, if you act on an objectively serious matter without a fully free will, the sin is venial. If you act on an objectively serious matter but lack sufficient reflection, you aren't guilty of a mortal sin, merely venial. If you act on a serious matter but don't realize it's a serious matter, you commit venial sin. If the serious matter isn't serious, you're not guilty of mortal sin at all. A good Catholic mother who was a cradle Catholic used a catechism I wrote over 20 years ago to teach her children at home. She told me that until she taught her children from that catechism, she didn't know that drunkenness was a mortal sin. So any drunkenness she was objectively guilty of prior to that was a venial sin. Now, however, having been corrected through her reading, if she gives in to drunkenness, she'll be guilty of mortal sin. Consider this example. The eldest son of a family of five is leaving on a road trip for three days with his friends, a sort of final fling before going off to college. Mom and Dad tell him to be careful and to call home every day so they know he's okay. The next night, Dad's staying up late to do some work at his desk. When he finishes, he goes to check on his younger children before going to bed. He turns off all the lights in the house and goes to his bedroom. As he begins to dress for bed, he hears a noise downstairs. He listens carefully and hears another noise. He concludes someone's in the house and he immediately fears for his family's safety. So he reaches into the closet for his pistol. Dad stealthily moves down the hall and down the stairs to the ground floor. It's pitch black in the house. As he reaches the bottom step, he senses movement near him. In his fear and dread, he raises the gun and fires in the direction of the movement. He hears something fall to the floor. He turns on the light and finds his eldest son dead at his feet. The son had come home unexpectedly without first notifying his parents. Now, did Dad commit a mortal sin? Let's examine that. Is killing his son serious matter? <laughs> yeah, it's most certainly a serious matter. Did he know it was serious matter? In other words, did he have sufficient reflection? Yes, he knew it was serious matter to shoot his son, but he believed he was exercising his moral right to protect his family, so sufficient reflection is open to debate here. Did he act with a fully free will? This is the trickiest part. He willed to protect his family. He didn't will to shoot his son. His will was impeded and not fully free because of his fear and desire to protect his family. Did Dad commit a mortal sin? Although he took the life of his son and authorities are likely to charge him with manslaughter, it's very unlikely he committed mortal sin in the eyes of God. Had he turned on the lights or called out into the darkness and heard his son's voice but then fired, he would most certainly have committed a mortal sin. Admittedly, this isn't the greatest example to use, but it drives home the points of the presence of the three conditions and our need to know what's right and wrong. There are limitless situations that can happen in our lives, and we must be always aware of right and wrong. Our minds are made to know truth, so we're obliged to learn God's laws and form a right conscience. Failure to do so is itself sinful. And a principle of moral theology is this. When we're in doubt as to whether something is the right thing to do, we must resolve the doubt or refrain from acting at all. We must never act on a doubtful conscience, and it's mortally sinful to do so. Paid for by Michigan for Ryan D. Kelly with regulated funds. The patriots of Michigan have had enough and Republican candidate for governor Ryan D. Kelly is ready to be the voice for the people of Michigan. 
Ryan is a grassroots American patriot, stepping up to play his part in making Michigan a national leader while keeping our American Republic strong. As a man of strong Catholic faith with an incredible wife and five beautiful children, the future of Michigan is a matter close to Ryan's heart. As the 50th governor of Michigan, Ryan will fight to normalize transparency and integrity within the government. Ryan D. Kelly holds our great constitution and the freedoms and liberties it provides in high esteem. Michigan needs a governor with a backbone. Visit ryandkelly.com. That's R-Y-A-N-D-K-E-L-L-E-Y.com for more of our Michigan First policies. This is Ryan Kelly, and I approve this message. The Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote. This week's Catholic quote is from St. Padre Pio. He said, pray, hope, and don't worry. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. A convict once tunneled his way out of prison, and that after three years of such grueling and dangerous work, he discovered that he'd been pardoned. Subsequently, he lost his mind. He spent the rest of his life in a mental institution where he insanely dug tunnels. Each time he escaped, his keepers would be there waiting to take him back. Then he'd start digging all over again. All of the convict's tunnel digging was in vain, both before and after he lost his mind. This is a picture of someone who does unnecessary servile work on Sunday. He thinks he'll be a lot further ahead when he's really just wasting his time. No one can expect to have God's blessing on their work if they willingly violate the third commandment doing it. Most people are trying to escape God and their conscience. They're madly digging tunnels, trying to get all they can out of life, even if it violates God's laws. But God and conscience catch up with them when they think they've gained liberty. This has been the Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.